Hello and welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm Brad and I'm joined again by James. Yeah. How are you doing, James? I am doing great. How are you today? Good. Well, I'm really excited about our topic today. It's one that's kind of near and dear to my heart. So why don't you introduce what we're talking about today? Yeah, so today uh, the the content of what we're talking about is going to be Muslim work, uh, which you're blessed to have had some history with that. We want to tackle it from a couple of couple of angles, but one of the things that we have noticed just the last couple of years in this crazy world, uh, things getting canceled, things not getting canceled, uh, all of a sudden, like, I think every one of our teams this year and last are going to work with Muslim people groups. Is that right? Last year it was exclusively so. This year we have a few teams that will be, there will be Muslims in their city, but they're not predominantly Muslim areas, but almost, you know, 95% this year is Muslim, and last year was 100%. Okay, so that's pretty significant. Um, so the first thing is there's a, a term out there called contextualization. Uh, what in the world is that? What does that mean? Uh, it's basically how do we take the gospel and um, or you know elements of church, anything like that, how do we take them into another context you know what do what things are sort of essential and core to those to church experience to the gospel to I mean you name it worship songs and what things are have Western cultural things that could be changed or modified to make them a little more appropriate for that culture. So that's kind of the the uh, short answer to that question. The essence behind it. Why is it important? Like why does it matter? Well, it's, it's incredibly significant. I mean, you, you see, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but you see in the Bible, uh, Paul dealt with this issue of basically how Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian? You know, that was a really a contextualization issue. So as the gospel went to these new places uh, and Greeks were coming to faith, things like that, there was kind of, do you have to be circumcised? What kind of Jewish rituals do you have to keep? And it's the same thing now, you know, as the gospel goes to different places, one, if it seems foreign, if it you know if it has all these unusual elements that are from another culture, uh, it can be a barrier to the gospel, and you know just kind of connecting with people's heart and also being understandable, attainable, the the language that's used, the styles that are used, that they they make sense. Those are all significant for the gospel going forward. Yeah, and we don't it's we don't think about it near as much in America. Uh, even though it's still true here, mm-hmm. um, if I as a if I as a white person am taking uh, the gospel to my Hispanic neighbor, he doesn't have to become white middle class American. Uh, American, he can be Hispanic in whatever socioeconomic category he's in. And correspondingly, then of course, when we take the gospel to the nations, quote unquote, how American do they have to be? And we don't have a great, we didn't start out this way as missionaries from the West. You know, I think there was a lot. I remember one of my favorite stories when I was going uh, overseas. Uh, one of the guys, he was the sec. I think he was the second in charge of, maybe he's the third in charge of the organization. And he had grown up as an MK in Africa. And he was just talking about like everything they had, you know, like they had the building, they had the pews at the front, they had, they had the table. Mm-hmm. And it said, "In God we trust." In mm-hmm. English, you know, and they don't even speak English, you know, like, yeah. like in some ways. And he said, and then they would go after they would leave church, then they would go out to their round buildings and they would dance. And then he sang a song, song for us, and uh, 
think Swahili. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's like, and, th- and they would do all this, they might have another two hours of praise and worship songs or something, but like it was a completely different, the, the gospel hadn't been contextualized. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we take the gospel to Muslims, in this case, we're specifically talking, how does context affect that? Yeah, I think Muslims have become maybe the the crossroads of this contextualization battle because, or you know, battle is probably the wrong word, discussions, you know, but in some cases controversy, uh, because there's a lot of overlap in uh, in belief, right? They believe in one true God. Uh, some of the, the scripture things that we would say as authoritative scripture, they have now. They may think they're corrupted in some way, but they recognize them in some manner. Uh, the, a lot of the prophets are the same. And so there's kind of been an issue of figuring out what what can we build common ground on and what do we have to sort of draw a line and say, no, that's actually not okay. And so, you know, issues like the, the name we use for God, you know, is Allah acceptable or do we have to come up with something else? Um, your styles of uh, worshiping, how do you pray? Um, things like that. So I think for Muslims, it's in, it's incredibly important. And you also have the factor of um, this kind of tension between the West and the, the Muslim world. And so if something comes in and has a very Western look and feel to it, that's going to be hard for someone there locally to really um, accept. And take. So it, it, I think it's extremely important. Um we tend to, as with a lot of things, we tend to react to the most extreme elements of it. So people see someone that's gone way, maybe way too far in contextualization. And so they think, oh, well, that contextualization stuff is bad, you know? <laughs> or so then we maybe go to the other extreme and we're very uncontextualized. And it's like basically you need to become an American Christian if you're going to be a part of this. So it's, um, it, you know, there aren't a lot of easy answers, but I think that there we can there's a range that we can kind of come to and understand that's appropriate. Okay. Well, there's a gentleman, I believe it was John J. Travis. And I, mm-hmm. Google tells me that. But he, he created a contextualization. Um, uh, he, he created it for uh, Muslim believers or Muslim churches, but we've kind of adapted it to uh, missionaries as we, as we go cross-culturally. Um, and so he, it was called the C1 through C6. Um, so let me, let me throw them out to you and you tell me a little bit about what they mean. Um, so C1, uh, is, is traditional church using outsider language. What mm-hmm. does that mean? So this would be really similar to how you describe. So you, you basically kind of cut and paste from, from America, let's say America, cause we're coming, we'd be coming from America. So you're cutting and pasting church life and terms and everything and kind of planting them in another culture. So you've got maybe English is involved, whether those people speak English or not. Um, and, you know, you're using a lot of the same material. So it's very much plopping something foreign down in the culture. Okay. C2 is traditional church using insider language. Yeah. So maybe, uh, I'm not sure exactly what he means there, but I think you basically you've taken, there's probably some translation that's happened. You've taken terms that make a little more sense to the local people, either it's, it's in their language or, you know, just adapted in some way. Um, and, but you're still using a lot of the same traditional forms. You've maybe got the pews and you've got the, but the preacher's now speaking in Swahili instead of in English, you know, that might be an example. Okay. Um, so C3 then goes to, uh, 
uh, contextualized Christ-centered communities using insider language and religiously neutral insider cultural forms. How's yeah. that for a mouthful? <laughs> that is a mouthful. Um, yeah, so you've maybe at this point you're trying to, rather than saying, hey, let's, let's adopt these Islamic forms of doing things or let's adopt the American way of doing things, you're trying to find maybe kind of a neutral middle ground um, where it, it doesn't completely look foreign, but it's not, you're not uh, in danger of being syncretistic and overly adopting things. So, um, you know, you've tra- you're using the local language. Uh, you maybe, in, instead of going to the mosque or something like that, or instead of building a church building, right, you're not doing either of those, but you're maybe meeting in a house, kind of a neutral form of that's a middle road. Okay. Would this be like, like I think, uh, my understanding is most Muslims go to the mosque on Friday. Is mm-hmm. that correct? So would that be like you meet on Friday instead of Sunday? Would that be, or does that matter at all? And uh, it, it Again, it's hard to know where in C3, C4. I would see that that's maybe a little bit further of saying, hey, let's, let's adopt Friday uh, as the day that we're going to do. That's probably maybe slightly past C3. So maybe C3 you would, let's do it on Saturday or, you know, just pick something that doesn't fully embrace both sides. Okay. So C4 then, tell me what that is. Uh, Contextualized Christ-centered communities using insider language and biblically permissible cultural and Islamic forms. Yeah. So you would, in this case, rather than just let's be neutral, let's be careful, you'd look at existing parts of Islamic um, worship style or terminology that's acceptable. So, for example, in our context, um, when when Muslims would pray, the people group I worked with, they would lift their hands up, you know, kind of raise them up that and 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 do that. Whereas opposed to in the West here, we kind of bow our heads and fold our hands. So you would look at that and say, yes, that is how Muslims do this here, but certainly that's permissible. There's not a posture that's wrong in prayer. You know, um, you might also uh, adopt some of the. So if there's a holiday in, in a lot of Muslim cultures that has to do with sacrifice and things like that. In, in our context, they call it a korban festival. Um, and so you could say, well, maybe you could somehow use that, adapt that to say, hey, let, this day let's celebrate the sacrifice that is Jesus, you know, how he died for us. And so you're kind of adapting some things, but you're, you still have the, the biblically permissible part is, is important. You wouldn't do something and say, hey, we're going to worship an idol or we're going to do something like that that clearly is not biblically permissible. Mm-hmm. But you're still inside, quote-unquote, the safe zone. Um, it's biblically permissible, but it's definitely mm-hmm. homegrown. This is the way mm-hmm. This is the way they do it. Yeah, I think here, you, as opposed to where C5, maybe you, you, can, you get a little bit more uh, edgy on these things. But here, where people would have concerns is, are you giving, is there some kind of misperception? Like if this is how Muslims pray, raising their hands, they see you doing this, is there going to be some kind of misunderstanding? Oh, these people are, have, you know, embraced Islam or they're giving credence to Islam in some way saying it's okay. So that's, that's where maybe the controversy comes in, but the real controversies come when you get to the next step, C5. (laughs) Well, let's get in. That's where the good stuff is. C5 says Christ-centered communities of Messianic Muslims who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. What in the world does that mean? So it's just maybe a further step of 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 not trying to be other or foreign in some way. So even in terms of what you, how you would identify yourself. So there are 
uh, would might be people who say, yeah, I'm a Muslim. Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm a Muslim, you know, that follows Jesus perhaps, but, uh, you would at least do that. You'd be comfortable saying I'm a Muslim because, Hey, a Muslim means someone who submits to Allah, submits to God. Of course, Christians, we do that too. Um, maybe you even go to the mosque and there you're, you're using the same forms and things, but it's to Jesus. So it's, it's a much higher level of, uh, removing any otherness to it. Um, but you're certainly straying much further into the misperception, misunderstanding. <laughs> is this mm -hmm. biblically allowable? This is where the controversy gets pretty heated okay. with groups that have embraced this idea. Okay, let's go. Let's go into those. Um, let's go into those in just a second. But just to hit C six because I think it'll be quick. Mm -hmm. It says small Christ centered communities of secret underground believers. Yeah, I think C six is you're not you're you're secret in your faith. You're not you know identifying as a Christian. It's kind of either. I mean, in some cases they may not have any community. They may just in my heart I believed in Jesus, but no one knows. But that. no one even knows there. Yeah, anything or I guess else. it could be several people there. Like we're not. This is we're not letting this out. Yeah, that we're believers. So yeah, which as missionaries. I think sometimes in dangerous situations, you can want to be that, mm -hmm. but definitely we don't want to fall into that category. So back in, back in the C5, mm -hmm. uh, where all the controversy, C for controversy. Yes. <laughs> um, what, what are, what are the, what do both sides say on that as, as we approach it from, uh, I guess from an outside perspective as we're coming in and I, and I assume most, most missionaries that come in, you're trying to plant, you have an idea of what you want you hope church looks like there. Mm -hmm. Where does the controversy come in? What, is, what do both sides say? Well, it's probably worth noting the, the organization that I worked for and you also back in the day uh, served with, uh, you know, drew a line that C5 was out of bounds. And so there are organizations that I worked with out there and, and colleagues that I had overseas that, would, that felt okay with this. Um, I think a lot of it drew from, you know, a sense that, Christianity, the way it's been brought in, is it seems so foreign to these people, and it um, we want to get rid of any barriers. Uh, there's so many things that are offensive about it. We want to get rid of some of that offense. Uh, be careful, you know. The terms like "son of God," they would want to be real, real careful to not have that. You know, at least initially, being a big part. Some of the terms that really cause controversy. And so I think they're trying to, there's such a barrier for Muslims in particular, you know, I know they're not the only ones that where contextualization is an issue, but um, they're, they're probably the most controversial ones. So there's such a barrier. And, and so I think they're trying to find ways to reduce that barrier. Um, but of course we can go, you know, you can get to the point where being pragmatic uh, gets you in trouble where you're, you know, I, I've seen believers as a guy that I started meeting with who had, come to faith, so to speak, you know, through a, a more C5 approach. And I think he was very confused as to what he actually believed because of that, because there was so much like, well, it's okay. Yeah, if you want to keep, you know, going and praying five times a day, if you want to call yourself a Muslim, uh, all these things, I think he was a bit confused and, and sort of uh, the authority of the Bible and, and kind of these things I think were a little muddy in his mind. So I think that's where you can get in trouble with it. Mm-hmm. Um, those that are those that are for it, or that are like all C five. What's their what's their reasoning or their line of thought? 
I, mean, I think issue by issue they have a rationale. You know, the the terminology issue of I, I'm a Muslim. You know, there was a, a gentleman that I uh, knew in in our city who called himself a Muslim. Uh, I mean, he was a, a believer, a, a Christian, but he would would certainly not use that term and called himself a Muslim. And he would say, well, you know, it just means to submit to God. And of course, I submit to God. Um, and he would also pray, you know, kind of fast at the certain times that Muslims would and would pray, uh, had like a prayer rug that he would use. And again, he said, well, you know, you can pray on a rug if you want. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think there were some rationales that had that were logical in one sense. But um, if you talk to any of his friends, they'd be like, isn't it so great that he's converted from Christianity to <laughs> Islam? And there was a, a, a certainly a misperception that was going on and, and an affirmation of Islam that I thought was a little bit dangerous. Um, I mean, particularly... You know, words and terms matter, right? Now, we don't want to bring this foreign term that doesn't make sense. But to say that you're a Muslim, yes, even though while technically that means someone who submits to God and we all submit to God, um, how that's understood by the hearer that's listening to that is, you know, embracing a whole lot of things that we wouldn't embrace, you know, in terms of works theology that you, you have to do enough works to be saved, things like that. I mean, they they would certainly, that's how it would be understood. And so I think with contextualization, an important thing that you have to factor in is not just what do I mean or what does this technically mean, but how are things understood? And I think that's where C5 gets a little bit out of bounds. Um, I see. Yeah. What about, so I was listening to a talk on my way up here this morning, and the guy was saying, uh, people ask me, am I a Christian? And kind of going back like he wouldn't call himself a Christian. He said, well, I, I just always ask him, well, what do you mean by that? And then usually whenever they define whatever they mean, I, I say honestly, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. You know, I'm a follower of God and I blah, 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 whatever fit mm -hmm. the context. How do you feel about that? Is that, because, you know, it's the same thing. How do you feel about that? Because that word has loaded meanings. When they yeah. ask that, that may not mean the same thing that you and I think it means. I think it's the same thing you have to uh, bring clarity because, in that context, if I said I'm a Christian, there what they then think and understand are a number of things that I wouldn't believe. For example, you know that there's a, a loose morality that's kind of associated with that. They're, they think that we believe that God and Mary, you know, got together and had a baby together. You know, all sorts of things that we wouldn't embrace. And so I would usually, in that particular case, I would use kind of a neutral term. I would say, well. I would call myself a follower of Jesus, and this is what that means. So rather than, I, I don't know that I would have outright rejected, no, I'm not a Christian. Though a C5er would be very comfortable with that. Uh, I would say, well, let me explain, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and let me explain what that means is kind of the route that I would take. Yeah. So I think you have to be careful to the, like, some things that don't, that maybe we would say here even, like, well, I'm not into religion, or I'm not, you know, um, those can get confusing because they, when they, oh, so you're an atheist, you know, or <laughs> if you say, I, I don't believe in, in Christianity or I'm not a Christian, that can cause some misunderstanding too. So I think it's just either finding a neutral term or using explanation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Students over all the time. Um, also, Muslim isn't just like this one people group, you know, that says this. 
Very diverse. Yeah, I was trying to think how many how many billions millions billions are there? Is it About two a billion? One yeah, billion? A billion plus? Uh, yeah. So you know a wide swath of people. So what do we what do we teach our teams? How do we help prepare them? Or if you're listening and you're you're ready to go go, you know what do you? Yeah, our summer trip student teams. We you know we're we're pretty elementary in what we're dealing with because one, it is very diverse. And so, you know, you might go someplace and people are sort of Muslim by name only. They're really not practicing. And so, you know, you should use the Quran and all. they're not even reading the Quran. So it's, it's hard to it's hard to have a one size fits all. But we're trying to get them to, to begin to think about this whole issue of contextualization. What things are they bringing and assuming because they're Western models? And particularly as they describe their you know, share their testimony, describe their faith, what elements of that are you know, I walk down the aisle and I pray to prayer and ask Jesus into my heart and this very insider language for Christians, but outsider language for them, you know, it's adapting that so it's a little bit clearer. The rest of it, we kind of put on our overseas partners to help them navigate for that specific context, but we're kind of getting them to start to think about that. And sometimes you have to just break down some of these misconceptions, right? People have heard extreme stories of people going too far with uh, contextualization and so then they're maybe against contextualization or they react to that term and just helping them understand that actually anytime you're sharing the gospel even in English you know if you go to share with the preschoolers in your church you're going to share a little bit different than if you go to share with the senior adults right you're going to use different language that's that's all contextualization essentially yeah yeah and we talk about there's a biblical examples of it too right mm-hmm. yeah i mean paul has the, the most clear discussions on this in his epistles and he's trying to help navigate uh, or you know the book of acts you see a lot of it of uh this you know do you have to be circumcised uh can you how can you interact with the local temple you know is it okay to have a meeting there at the local temple can you eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol these are all contextualization issues and you see, Paul, there's a lot of, uh, it kind of depends. And, you know, if you look at some of his epistles, it's, sometimes it's pretty clear, but sometimes it isn't. But where you would cause someone to stumble or um, to sort of shipwreck someone's faith by doing something, he says, yeah, avoid it. Uh, but you do have some examples where one time he tells a guy to be circumcised because he doesn't want to be an offense to the Jews so he can connect and relate to them. Other time he says, no, don't, because we don't want to give in to this idea that that's how you're going to be saved by following these Jewish rituals. And so it's even a complex issue, I think, in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The older I get, uh, there's nothing is as simple as I used to think it was. Right. Um, I think, you know, even when we talk about contextualization here in America, uh, I heard, it's actually by the guy I was listening to this morning, he made this comment once that like if you've been a believer in America for two years and like you plugged in, not like you just prayed a prayer, but like you really plugged in, like within two years, you're no longer the same culture as your neighbor across the street, mm-hmm. you know? And so the way, the way you communicate that, and I, it makes me think about what you're talking about defining terms. Like let's not leave things to assumption, um, mm-hmm. but let's define it so that they know what it is. Mm-hmm. we think and what what it is we are um and the best example same gentleman uh that i thought anyway he was talking about contextualization and he said uh it was just so hard for him to always keep 
keep uh, keep Jesus dressed the way he was supposed to for the local culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the challenge of contextualization, like with you know, with my my group for a while, we had a with my people group, we had a story cloth, and they were wearing you know, like we we drew all the Bible stories, but we drew them wearing you know the kind of clothing, the kind of houses they had, all this mm-hmm. stuff. But he's like, I just could never keep Jesus dressed. <laughs> and what he really likes to likes to get into is like when I can get to him where they they can they'll read the Bible, and the Holy Spirit can keep Jesus dressed for him. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that's really going to con- that's always going to contextualize it correctly, mm-hmm. and is always going to know exactly where the line is of like, oh, this is completely fine, and this is that mil- that that tiny for the Holy Spirit a, a fine line makes a wide divide, yeah. um, and so I think with this there's just a lot of a lot of that need a lot of the of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I think when we send teams we. We, and when you go overseas, you have to work on learning to let the Bible have the answers. Um, and instead of always feeling like, I've got to know exactly how and be able to explain it exactly right, like, like expose them to the Bible. Yeah. Well, and the nice thing about that, if you're reading stories, you know, of Jesus, Acts, these kind of stories, even Old Testament stories, they connect much more with the culture of these, uh, a lot of the places that we're going to. Um, you know, some of this, the, the importance of hosting and some of these parables that Jesus, the agricultural parables he uses, they connect a lot more with it than, you know, an American living in, in an urban setting will. And so they don't need an explanation for some of those things. They get why, you know, if, if you're, if, if a guest comes to your house in the middle of the night and you got to get up and get, you know, give them something, those are, they understand those. Or where you sit, don't sit in the seat of honor things like that those connect with their culture so um that i think ancient near east culture and many muslim cultures today have a lot of similarities still yeah yeah and the beauty is i I admire so much people who translate bibles one to have that ability but two like it's just so handy to have read this i can't i can't say these words right Mm -hmm. read this for me yes um what uh, for people that are listening today, most of them are in America. Uh, some of them may be going or planning on going or have an interest in, in working with Muslims. If they're in America, what can they do? How do they, how can they be more effective in what God's doing with Muslims? Uh, specifically how it relates to contextualization. Yeah, some to contextualization. Maybe some just Muslims. And it's a, maybe we'll talk about that more in another podcast, but. Yeah, I think learning, um, being informed, you know, when you have people over, I mean, something as simple as knowing, like, you probably don't want to serve pork when your Muslim friends come, Um, but just learning some things that are important in their culture. Like, we have a very casual culture, right? When we meet people, we don't have a real formal way that we greet, or we're just kind of like, hey, what's up? How you doing, James? Um, but most of these cultures, they, they have a, a real respectful way that this is how you greet. Maybe it's even gender specific. This is how men greet. This is how women greet. I think learning some of those things really honors people. Um, so that, you know, that's pretty low, low hanging fruit, I think, to learn a little bit about the culture, how to greet, yeah. things like that. Yeah. So if you're a college student and you're listening to this and you have no clue, you're just as ignorant like a country bumpkin like I was when I first went to college and maybe still am. 
where do you begin? How do you do it without making this huge faux pas? You got a Muslim guy on campus. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I mean, you can certainly, there's a lot of resources online. You can read, you can whatever, but, um, probably the best thing to do is find someone who's worked with Muslims. I mean, if, in most of these college campuses, you're going to have somebody around who's familiar with Muslims. There's lots of ministries to Muslim. And if they're not there locally, you know, you could call and, mm -hmm. and find out. Goodness, you could call our office. We'll, <laughs> I'll talk yeah. your ear off if you want. <laughs> so, but I think um, if you're preparing to go, you know, kind of getting, it's good to develop some, a skill set of evaluating local culture. Because uh, there's elements of local local culture where you're going to go that are there's sin involved and there's there's things that we couldn't do obviously then there's things that are kind of neutral and then there's things that are beautiful and that we could embrace you know the value of hospitality and and the respecting people who are older things like that so I think beginning to develop a system to figure out how you would contextualize you know there were several questions I would always ask myself when some uh, we were trying to figure out what to do about some Islamic element of the culture. For example, these holidays like the sacrifice festival and things like that. Or, or should we be teaching them Christmas and Easter? You know, does that? So just kind of asking questions like one: Is there biblical teaching related to this? So that's kind of a good thing you can begin to ask yourself. And two: Is there a biblical example? So one of the ones that was a little bit tricky was uh, our Muslim friends would pray at the end of the meal. Is there biblical, clear biblical teaching you have to pray at the beginning of the meal? That's our habit. Well, no, but we do have a, we do see some examples in in uh, you know when Jesus would he would pray it was usually at the beginning of the meal, and so kind of uh, there may be something to explore there. Okay, there's an example, but there's not really teaching. So kind of getting some some of those things thinking through what what posture is okay for prayer those things are really important to uzbeks arabs whoever is out there anyway it's just kind of building that in mm -hmm. and i think the other thing especially if, if you're in america just being aware that there are those and just make a friend you know and just ask those questions and as you, as you explore with that person they're in america so they're they're getting some used to our culture too and so you can you know, you can go and begin to make friends and you can learn those things over time of like, oh, I should probably do it this way. And I find that it just means a lot of different, makes a lot of difference, means a lot to somebody when you're trying to learn something about their culture. Um, so if you're in America, you don't have, don't be worried about everything context-wise, how you're doing it wise, just get started, is my opinion. Start wisely. Know you're going to make some mistakes, um, but getting some relationships and some friendships, I think, is great. Um, Brad, that's kind of what I had written down for us today. Do you have some other thoughts about Muslims you want to share today? Well, this that contextualization topic's a pretty big one, so maybe we can kind of end there and, and start on some other things related to Muslims in our next podcast. That sounds good. Um, if people want to get involved with One Link, uh, what's the way they can do that? Yeah, I think just thinking right now, um, speaking of overseas travel, uh, you know, we've been, because of COVID, we've been grounded for about, this is, I'm about three years, almost two and a half years since I've been able to travel overseas just because, you know, borders being closed when you want to, when we want to travel to build partnerships, we need to hit multiple countries. So we're, this 2022, we're going to hit it with a, a vengeance and we're hoping to take a, at least three trips overseas and and connect with our partners, encourage our partners, and 
uh, also build new partnerships for teams. And so that obviously takes resources. And, and uh, so if you are able to and pray and want to give towards what, what we're doing, uh, that's always a huge blessing to kind of partner with us in that and help provide some of those resources. So that's one. There's many ways, but I'll just... I'll give one that today. one out for today. Yeah. yeah. And of course, there's always prayer. Um, mm-hmm. You can definitely be praying for those trips, uh, for all of our student trips, borders to be open, um, everyone to test negative before they go, like uh, all of the logistics of it. Um, and then uh, pray for pray for Muslims. Um, I think I almost want to say it's hard again to say what do you just pray generically for Muslims. The best is if you can uh, connect with some with some ministries that are doing work to that and find out get on their their prayer lists um, so you can pray real accurately or better. Um, but if you were going to throw out Brad, throw out some like here's here's two things you could pray for Muslims at any mm-hmm. point in time. What would be something? I think one getting access to God's words and in many places that's an issue. Uh, and then just overcoming some barriers to God's word. Uh, you know, Muslims believe generally that the, these books have been changed or that they're corrupted, or at the very least, the Quran has kind of, what we'd say, abrogated them, sort of made them, you know, unnecessary. And uh, so praying that they would really embrace that. I, I've really found when people get into the word and some of those mental barriers fall down there, they're really transformed by it. So I think that's one way people could be praying, that they'd get access to the Word and they would honor it and embrace it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I've enjoyed it, and uh, we appreciate you listeners tagging along with us to the end. And uh, we will see you next time. See you next time.